0: back to the Pumps and Systems Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Champlin, Managing Editor of Pumps and Systems Magazine. You can visit us on the web at pumpsandsystems.com. Today we will be talking seal water reduction strategies and improvements in water quality with Ram Ben and Bill Pritchett of John Crane. You can find this podcast at any podcast platform such as Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, CastBox, or you can go to pumpsandsystems.com slash podcasts and get caught up on every episode. We're going to be at episode 80 with this one, so we're moving right along here. The episode sponsor is John Crane. You can visit them on the web at johncrane.com, and you will hear a bit more about them later into the podcast. So let me bring on our guests. Uh, First off, uh, Ram Venkatri. Ram, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, My name is Ram Venkatadri. I'm a global product manager with John Crane. I developed new products for filtration specifically. I've been in the industry for a very long time. Um, Been with John Crane for three years, but um, I've been in the filtration business for 15 years. And before that, I worked for power companies and uh, paper mills, as well as uh, oil gas refineries for for a while. So, I've got some experience to share with you today.
0: Bill Pritchett, you've been on an episode with me before on reducing seal maintenance costs. Uh, First off, how you doing? And tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: I'm doing great, Drew. And, you know, uh, thanks for inviting us to this podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, I am currently um, uh, Senior Key Account Manager for John Crane Uh, on a global basis. I call on some major OEMs that, that are represented around the world generally in the refrigeration industry right now. Um, I started at John Crane eons ago back in 1979 and uh, have been in the seal industry the vast majority of my uh, career. I also did some some work in fluid power. I was a product manager for Parker Distributor, and I also sold um, industrial valves into the marine industry down in San Diego and Hawaii. My um, experiences uh, in marine industry, refineries, wastewater treatment, uh, refrigeration, and so forth.
0: Well, it was episode uh, 54, actually, that you were on the podcast with me back uh, about a year and a half ago. But first off, Bill, let's just talk about the history and trends of sealing technology. What can you tell us about that before we get into the to the deep water of the podcast?
2: I thought uh, just touching on the history of, of uh, seals is always good in case uh, there's anyone listening in. <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, isn't familiar with SEALs and, and where they came from. It really started thousands of years ago, um, all the way back to possibly the Egyptians. Uh, packing, think of packing as engineered rope. Back in the day, it was simply just leather shoved around a shaft and and kept the uh, uh, shaft from leaking. Uh, packing has uh, evolved over the years. And as a matter of fact, John Crane was once named John Crane Packing. Uh, that's where we our, our roots are from, um, and we made packing for decades. And then around uh, 1928 is when the first conventional single mechanical seal was invented. Uh, fast-forwarding to 1949 was the first uh, automotive water pump seal, which was invented by John Crane. Uh, fast-forwarding again to the 70s and 80s, now we're getting into my era, uh, dual seals became very prevalent mostly because of emission concerns and safety concerns. Obviously, a lot of these pumps, you know, they pump gasoline and jet fuel and benzene and and all sorts of nasty uh, chemicals, and obviously, you don't want that stuff getting out in the atmosphere. SCAQMD Rule 1173, I'll never forget it, Southern California Air Quality Management District came out with Rule 1173, which restricted, greatly restricted the parts per million any seal could leak into the atmosphere. Unburned hydrocarbons reacts with sunlight and creates uh, ozone, which is a major factor in smog. Uh, and it has been a tremendous benefit to the atmosphere down in Southern California. Um, and lots and lots of single seals are now dual seals with seal support systems. Moving ahead to the early 2000s, we came up with an ultra low flow dual seal. Uh, John Crane calls it the upstream pumper. And the idea was where you have extremely difficult applications, think of asphalt or uh, mining industries where you've got a slurry and it just chews up the seal. This seal actually um, provides its own flush at a very low rate. And uh, has, we've got hundreds, if not thousands, of applications out in the field now. Around about the same time, we developed a flushless seal. Uh, we meaning the industry. Um, and it's… it's a, we work in conjunction with the pump manufacturers to make sure that the, there's a, a constant flow of pumpage around the seal so it's not starved, and we can use that in applications up to two, maybe three percent solids, um, and, and the idea, of course, is to, to reduce or eliminate seal flush. And then finally, uh, just recently in the last few years, uh, we've developed uh, – the industry once again has developed a, a what we call diamond face, and it is actually diamond – that is grown on the seal faces and it's once again in very very difficult applications and uh, that's taking off uh, the industry is bracing it one of the side effects uh, or benefits from the diamond face is it runs much cooler than conventional faces so it takes much less flush so those that's kind of a trend line of, of some of the technologies we could go on and on but that's uh, at least as far as seal water reduction, that's that's kind of the trend line there.
0: Bill, we're going to talk about seal water uh, on this podcast. What is seal water?
2: Uh, seal water is simply um, uh, a loop it's used as a lubricant or barrier fluid to cool and keep the faces clean. Think of a seal um, mechanical seal as basically a, um, a bearing in that you've got a uh, stationary and rotating part. And if the, uh, those, we we'll call them seal faces, if they're not uh, kept cool and clean, they're going to wear out very quickly, just like a bearing. And so a seal water flush is what the primary um, function of that is. Uh, if you have dirty pumpage, if the fluid that you're pumping is dirty, then we use an external flush, um, uh, water in general. Uh, this flush is typically, rule of thumb, is one gallon per inch of shaft. So, typically, a typical mid sized pump is two to three gallons per minute. Um, two gallons per minute, for reference, is roughly a million gallons of water per year. So, think of, think of your uh, hose bib at home outside. Think of turning that on and just leaving it on, 24-7, 365. That's how much water uh, a typical seal is using. Um, it's uh, Once again, it's to keep the uh, uh, seal cool and clean the water the seal flush water is added that is added to wastewater and pulp and paper systems has to be removed downstream obviously you want dry paper at the end of the process and think of a wastewater treatment plant as a big dewatering plant a lot of water comes into it and the drier the uh, sludge is what they call it at the end uh, the less cost for the wastewater treatment plant so any amount of water that you inject into the system namely seal flush has to be removed downstream, which all equals cost.
0: And now a word from our sponsor. John Crane is a global leader in rotating equipment solutions, supplying engineered technologies and services to process industries. The company designs and manufactures a variety of products, including mechanical seals and systems, couplings, filtration systems, and predictive digital monitoring technologies. John Crane customer service is accessed through a global network of more than 200 sales and service facilities in over 50 countries. Visit them on the web at johncrane.com. That's J-O-H-N-C-R-A-N-E c r a-n-e.com. And now back to the podcast. Well, Bill, so what is the primary factor driving the need to reduce seal water consumption? I think there's three major
2: factors, uh, environmental uh, cost reduction, of course, and certainly out out in the Southwest is is the current drought, which uh, is not going to get better anytime soon. With forty million people out there living in a desert, uh, there's always going to be stress on the water system. So the less water industry can use, the more water that'll be available for for you and I to uh, use domestically.
1: Uh, Ram, do you have anything on that one? Uh, yes, I do. Um, uh, if you look at the uh Purple paper and mining and power gen as uh, industries, these are all very water intensive uh, processes. Now, water shortages, as you mentioned, and higher prices for the fresh water has led to increased recycling. There has also been a large increase in um, corporate ESG initiatives in reducing water consumption. For example, in some countries, they have what they call zero liquid discharge, which means that any water that you generate as a waste cannot be discarded. It has to be reused in the process. Now, it does make sense, especially in arid regions where fresh water, such as groundwater or surface water, is very limited in supply. I was in a paper mill uh, last month where they were producing a lot of wastewater uh, that was treated in a biological process to clean it up but even after that process it was not good enough to be discharged because the regulations are so tight about discharge water. So they were recycling that water to the front of the plant and then mixing it with the incoming surface water. So these are the typical things that you see uh, in in uh, industry now that the recycled water, Uh, Is there and it's always mixed with the incoming water in most cases. And that's how they reduce water consumption. Um, The other point I wanted to mention here was uh, there are very strict regulatory constraints on the kind and quantity of contaminants that uh, a mine or a paper mill, for example, can discharge into their wastewater. So uh, going back to that point, uh, because of this, they're not allowed to uh, to discharge the water without extremely good treatment. So this means that they recycle most of the water.
0: Okay, Bill, so what steps can be taken to reduce seal water consumption in the short term?
2: Well, uh, as I, uh, I mentioned in question one, um, the evolution of seal technology, uh, there's many, many different types of evolution, but as far as the uh, waste or uh, flush reduction, there's two or three different technologies. There's the diamond face, which runs much cooler, which would uh, result in much lower flush requirements. There's the actual flushless seal design, which is nothing but a conventional seal. But the way the seal chamber is is designed, it encourages uh, a flow of the pumpage around the seal to keep it cool. Um, and that obviously eliminates flush. And then we have the uh, I call it the ultra low flow uh, we also call it the upstream pumper design where you take a dual seal and you take the uh, barrier fluid and instead of two to three gallons a minute per seal it's one to two gallons per day um, to keep those seals uh, cool and clean. So there is there is quite a few evolving technologies that that can really, reduce sealed water consumption in in a modern plant.
0: Uh, Well, what applications generally consume the most water in a facility?
2: Well, you know, almost all of them. Um, Typically, uh, like I just said, uh, water is consumed at one gallon per inch. That's two to three gallons per pump. If you have a, a plant that has 100 pumps, you can do the math. Um, it, it's it's a significant amount of water that has to be dealt with downstream. Ram, do you have anything else to add on that
1: one? Uh, yes, I do. Um, you talked about the water going to the mechanical seals. That's one of the applications. But we have several other process water-related applications in all of these plants. For example, they may want to make ultra-pure water and they use uh, reverse osmosis. Process for that. But the reverse osmosis process requires that the water should be uh, devoid of any suspended solids before it hits the reverse osmosis membrane. Therefore, you need a very good filter to remove the suspended solids before it goes to the reverse osmosis. The other example of process water would be, f- for example, in a power gen uh, plant where you have these very large cooling towers. The feed to the cooling tower is usually surface water from a lake or from a river or pond. And this water is filtered to some extent before it reaches the cooling tower. Uh, but you can see that there's a lot of deposits that are formed in the cooling tower and that limits the amount of time you can use the cooling tower before you have to shut it down and clean it. So again, an application there would be to use a filter especially an automatic filter that doesn't require much maintenance you use that in the line uh, to to clean the water going to the cooling towers so i'm just giving you a couple of examples of processed water uh, that needs to be treated uh, well
0: uh, what role does water quality play in reducing overall water consumption
2: once again there's there's really two Two factors, one is consistent pressure. You don't want uh, the water, the external water going into the pump to to vary much, because uh, you can get pressure reversals, you can get pumpage back up into the water line, and so forth, it's just not a good situation. So you want good, consistent pressure. Think of think of your sink at home, you want that to always be at a certain PSI, and same thing with the seal. Um, and the other big factor is cleanliness uh the if the water you're injecting into the seal is dirty well guess what you're going to wear those seals out soon or uh, prematurely and and as uh ram was just talking about we do have technologies to keep those that uh flush water clean uh rob you ram you want to um, add add to that
1: yes um The removal of suspended solids in the water is a key requirement uh, to keep all these units working well and uh, you have a lot of downstream units besides the mechanical seals and the pumps. You have things like sand beds and deionizers and reverse osmosis units. All of them have to be uh, given clean water that is devoid of suspended solids so that uh, they can do a better job. So, um, this is where, um, you know, uh, filtration comes into the picture.
0: Well, Bill, what role does clean water play in cost reduction?
2: Yeah, it's pretty simple. Um, clean water allows the seals to last for years, not weeks or months. You just imagine if you have a, a seal flush that, that has sand or silt in it, it's going to wear the seal out. It's just that simple. Um, and and the, the cleaner the water, the better chance the seal has of of lasting. Uh, Ram, you have anything more?
1: I have quite a few things to say about this. Uh, As I was saying earlier, when you uh, reduce the water consumption by recycling the water, you're doing something else too. um, You're not doing a good job in terms of Improving water quality. So, because the recycled water is always worse in quality compared to the incoming water in general, especially if we don't treat the recycled water very well. So, what do they do now? Uh, filtration is extensively practiced uh, to meet performance goals. So, uh, the idea is to first remove the suspended solids in the water to very low levels, say three or four parts per million. But you also want to reduce other things like iron, manganese, colloids, and bacteria. Uh, for a mechanical seal in particular, uh, generally they use a 50 micron filter, 50 micron filter uh, to protect the mechanical seal from uh, failure. So you remove the solids in the water going to the seal. If you look at the filtration technologies that people are using now, they really belong to three categories. The first category is something that most of you will know. This is the water that is incoming, which goes through what they call clarifiers. And clarifiers are big tanks where they use froth flotation technology, uh, where the solids sink to the bottom and the clean water goes to the top. They also use something called sand bed filters or gravity filters, where you trickle the water through these beds and you clean up the water to remove solids. The problem with these types of large devices is, you know, not only do they occupy a large footprint, they need to be replaced often. The, the filter media in there needs to be replaced often, and they also have performance issues. So what people are doing now is, using them as as they are but supplementing the performance with filters downstream now these filters can be uh, uh, cartridge filters which need to be often replaced as soon as they hit a certain pressure drop the cartridge filter is useless and they have to throw it out and replace it which is a manually intensive process so Now they prefer to use automatic filters. These are self-cleaning filters where where once your pressure drop hits a certain target or set point, uh, there is automatically um, a flush of water, a clean water that you collected by the way. Uh, The clean water comes back in and cleans the filter media back to where it was originally, and so this process is continuous. You don't ever have to throw out this uh, filter media. It will last six months to one year before you have to change the media. So um, John Crane, for example, has got a new product called a multi-purpose filter, which can filter down to 25 microns and handle fairly large uh, water flow rates. So this would be the second technology that people use. Uh, the self-cleaning automatic filter. The third technology is what I had mentioned uh, just a few minutes back. If you need ultra-pure water, you use what they call membrane filters like uh, nanofiltration or reverse osmosis. Once again, if you only if you need very clean water like boiler feed water, uh, you need these technologies. Uh, many of the mills don't have this. For example, paper mills don't have uh, usually some RO units, uh, but uh, some of the some of the plants do. Power plants certainly have uh, RO membranes. Uh, the requirement again is the water to these RO membranes has to be devoid of suspended solids. And that's where the, the earlier filtration comes into the picture. So, really, uh, to summarize, there are three different types of um, filtration technologies that people use to clean up the water.
0: Well, Bill, let's uh, talk a little bit about trends uh, as we answer the last couple of questions on the podcast. What future trends do you see in water savings?
2: Well, as time goes on, there's more and more pressure on industry in general to reduce water consumption and also wastewater discharge, as Ram has mentioned Um Ram, I think you have something about uh, payments and cost on on this issue.
1: There is a new trend that I have noticed. Um, When I walked into a paper mill the other day, they were saying, why should we pay for your equipment up front, um, the first fit uh, cost for the equipment? Uh, We want to see that you meet certain targets for specifications on the water. Uh, So... We will base our, our payment on how much you clean the water, how long have you cleaned the water to our specifications. So it's what they call a pay for use scheme. So you can base it on a certain flow rate of water that you treated to, to specs, and or you can base it on pressure drop or other parameters. But this is a, a new trend in the industry wherein uh, instead of paying for the equipment upfront. They're paying for the operating expenditure. Uh, you know, they assume that you will meet a certain target that they've specified.
0: So, what trends are you seeing in the industry around water reduction and reuse?
2: Well, I, I lived out in um, California for thirty some odd years, and uh, over the years, more and more wastewater, the uh, the, the effluent, the the quote-unquote clean water that's coming out of the plant used to just go uh, into the river, down the stream, out to the ocean, whatever. Now they're re- recovering that, and a lot of times they're using it to water medians in, in the streets, golf courses, those type of things. Uh, it is non-potable water, but it is certainly clean enough to water the grass. Uh, they're actually, There's actually pressure now to start cleaning that water to the point where it's potable, where you could actually drink it. Obviously, there's some resistance to that, but with the way the drought's going out west, you can see where where that uh, where we're headed with that. Uh, there's also some desalinization plants that are being built out there. I visited the one in uh, Carlsbad, which is North San Diego County, and uh, they they it's a very very expensive way to uh, make fresh water. They take the seawater and uh, filter it, and reverse osmosis, similar to what Rom's been talking about only on a grand scale. I worked on the pumps that suck the seawater in. There's four of them. Each one of them has 1,500 horsepower motor. That motor's about the size of a Volkswagen. Uh, it takes enormous amounts of electricity to drive those mo- those motors, those pumps. And, and that, of course, drives the, the water through the filter. It's basically a big filtration plant. And it does produce water, probably enough for a couple of good-sized cities, uh, Escondido and San Marcos, for example, if you're familiar with Southern California. And they they're planning on building more of those. The problem is when they take that water, that seawater, and they filter it, the salt and grime and so forth has to go somewhere. Well, guess what? It goes right back, back into the ocean. So we're we're potentially creating another environmental problem which uh, is getting outside of this uh, podcast. Um, uh, Ram, did you have anything else to add to this one? Um,
1: Just the same points that I mentioned earlier, that uh, discharge of wastewater to any water body uh, must absolutely meet the local environmental laws. Uh, Otherwise, uh, you can't discharge the water. So customers are now compelled to reuse the wastewater as much as possible and treat them uh, before discharging it. Uh, Well,
0: to wrap this podcast up, Bill, how would you say that saving water helps reduce costs?
2: Well, every gallon of water that is injected into the process stream typically has to be removed downstream. That's certainly true in wastewater and pulp and paper, um, mining many many industries have to deal with this this water that that they're injecting into the system to keep the seals alive to keep the pumps alive and then they have to turn around and remove that water and that all equals cost right so the less water we put into the system up front the less cost for the plant and that makes management happy uh, ram you have anything else to add?
1: I did some simple calculations uh, just to illustrate the point Um, the filter that I mentioned earlier the self-cleaning automatic filter from John Crane uh, I used some numbers there to give you an idea how much money you save so let's say you're recycling 800 uh, liters per minute or 200 gallons per minute of uh, wastewater so this is the water that you are treating with the filter and so you're not using fresh water, but the recycled water. So you're saving money for the customer. Uh, the the typical cost of fresh water depends on where you're located, but typically it's around uh, 0.1 pence per or British pence per cubic meter. That's like the lo- global standard. Of course, it will vary in places like California, it will be 10 times more than, uh, than in uh, the Gulf Coast of the U.S. Um, anyway, if you use that number, we uh, we save something like 115 pounds a day, uh, or about 130 dollars a day, and you save about 42,000 pounds per year, or 50,000 dollars per year, uh, by using this filter. Uh, and uh, you're uh, you're using recycled water instead of fresh water to, to treat. So, just wanted to give you some idea that you will save a lot of money by doing this.
0: That's a good way to wrap up this latest episode of the Pumps and Systems Podcast. Uh, Ram Venkatadri and Bill Pritchett, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your time and your expertise.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting us, Drew.
0: Sure. And to let everyone know, you can search and subscribe to the Pumps and Systems Podcast in any platform such as Apple, Google, SoundCloud. Spotify, or Stitcher. want to thank Bill Enrom and John Crane uh, for sponsoring this podcast. Visit John Crane on the web at uh, johncrane.com, J-O-H-N-C-R-A-N-E.com. If you want to reach out to me, the podcast host, please email me, dchamplin, at com. That's D-C-H-A-M-P-L-I-N at C-A-H-A-B-A-M-E-D-I-A.com. Till next time, thank you so much for listening.